0: Welcome to Dwight in Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the unofficial behind the scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I can't tell you who I play on the show yet, so we'll leave that for another time. Now, before we get into it, I'm gonna make a blanket spoiler alert. We will be spoiling everything we possibly can in the pilot, we're gonna cover everything. So if you haven't watched yet, stop whatever you're doing, Pull over to the side of the road if you're driving and watch the pilot either on BYUtv or at BYUtv.com Dwight. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 1, The Pilot, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by Timothy Kendall. Guest stars Evan Hofer, Jessica Craig, and Voltaire Council. First, a quick recap. We start by meeting our hero Dwight, played by Sloane Morgan-Siegel. He goes to the forest to capture a picture of a rare owl when he falls through the forest floor into a sunken kingdom where he accidentally kisses awake Princess Greta, played by Caitlin Carmichael, and becomes her champion. We meet Baldric, played by Joel McCrary, Princess Greta's court magician, and Dwight learns that by kissing Greta awake, accidentally or not, he has undone the spell, keeping her, Baldrick, and all of Greta's enemies asleep since the champion spell was cast a thousand years ago. All right. Now that everybody's been brought up to date, let's get to our very first guests, the creators and showrunners of Dwight in Shining Armor, Brian and Leanne Adams. Hey, guys. Hi, Josh. Hello, Josh. (laughs) Thanks for having us on your podcast. Thank you for letting me do this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, before we get into the beats of the pilot specifically, I'd love to talk with you guys about how the show came into existence. How did the idea for Dwight first come about?
1: Okay, so it was a <laughs> long time ago. It was eight or nine years ago now. And Brian and I, were we were brushing our teeth one night.
2: Some of our best ideas <laughs> come while we are, uh, you know, taking care of our oral hygiene.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was just kind of a, a lazy evening. We are brushing our teeth. And, and I, I said to Brian, um, what if Sleeping Beauty was still out there and it was a modern guy that happened to wake her up? And, uh, and we thought that was you know that was a fun place to start it was a nice uh, germ of an idea um, but it continued to grow from there
2: yeah and, and will it really as we developed the idea we became more and more excited about it but where the idea really kind of blew up for us is when we realized it wasn't just the princess who was asleep it was uh, her entire universe the good guys and the bad guys and the zombies who want to eat their brains uh, are, were all asleep and were all awakened by the uh, champion's kiss
0: right because then you have basically an unlimited cast of characters unlimited plot lines you can go anywhere you want exactly
2: that's when we realized this this could be a really fun idea to explore in a tv show Mm.
0: pilots um are hard (laughs) um you have to set up the entire series what it's going to be but you also have to provide an episode that's an example for what other episodes are going to be like a template I imagine that's one of the most difficult challenges, especially when the show requires so much world building. So how did you go about doing that, setting up both what the show was going to be overall and what it was going to be episode to episode?
1: Well, we started early on with the idea that our show was about worlds colliding and that so much of our story tread, so much of the humor uh, and and the um, the opportunities in the story come from Greta's world smashing into Dwight's world, uh, and from time to time, Dwight's world smashing into into her world. That we very literally saw in the pilot when he comes smashing down on her. Uh, so that's where um, we've gone back again and again to that idea that that when Greta's people or her ideologies or her lifestyle or her way of doing things butts up against Dwight's ideologies and lifestyle and way of doing things that's when
2: our story really starts to to churn so you're right i mean there there is a lot of world building that needs to be done for people for the audience to even follow what's what's going on and we, we our approach to that has always been to to give it out little you know just little by little just enough for the audience to to follow along and hopefully still have some questions in in their minds that the questions that aren't annoying but that are really intriguing that will make them continue to watch. So we, we have to to balance it by giving them enough of the exposition uh, to to intrigue them but not so much that they get bored.
0: So at the same time you're you're avoiding inundation of facts and exactly. what have you
2: I mean, we 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 could spend you know the first three episodes just like spelling out the rules, <laughs> which would be great, <laughs> but I think everyone would get bored.
0: Right, and and you intrinsically get a mystery then, you exactly. know, because if we have unanswered questions, that it organically creates curiosity.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's the
1: hope is that in the pilot we've answered as few questions as possible, and left as many questions as possible unanswered. Um, so it really is a trick of giving just enough information. Um, that, that people can follow the storyline, um, but no more than just enough.
0: I think that's going to be really valuable advice for any uh, aspiring or working writers out there that are <laughs> listening to this, because uh, exposition is by far the hardest thing. It's uh, for sure, It is tricky. Uh,
1: whenever we felt we were getting bogged down in exposition, we would just give a line to Baldrick and let him turn it into a joke and lighten the mood and move right on from it.
2: Uh, another sort of gift that we have with the exposition is that all of this is new to Dwight. Uh, so Dwight's always asking questions, and it makes sense that he would ask questions, the sort of questions that an audience member would an- uh, ask if he or she were there. And so that gives us a chance to uh, explain it organically. And we, ha- we also have a runner uh, with Dwight's questions that he's always mispronouncing things and misunderstanding them and, and in sort of comic ways. So that's that's another way we've tried to make the exposition process a little more entertaining.
0: Right, he's a cipher for the audience. Yeah, exactly. So, the actual episode... We begin with Dwight at school. You establish very quickly that he's the best guy in the world. He's the guy that if you're in any jam, you know, you want him to have your back. He'll take care of you. He'll finish your school project. Um, What was it like writing those initial non-fantasy scenes where it just feels like normal high school comedy show? Did you have fantasy in the back of your mind or did you kind of say, no, this is just going to be high school as we would if there was no fantasy coming along?
1: Yeah. So we knew that we wanted this to be a story about worlds colliding. And the first world that we're introduced to is Dwight's. So we need to establish that world to be um, to be the opposite of what we're about to meet when when Greta's world comes comes colliding into his. So Dwight's world is very polite. It's non-confrontational. It's tolerant. It's accepting. It's it's kind-hearted. Um, and and Dwight is sort of the embodiment of all of those values, those 21st century values that that we're as adults trying to cultivate in ourselves, and we're certainly trying to cultivate in our children. So Dwight's Dwight embodies all of those virtues, and the town of Woodside sort of is, is what we wish our communities could be like. Um, that town then, uh, is the most opposite, the most different from a medieval Gothic war culture that Greta comes (laughs) out of.
0: So you're looking for opposite, but accepting at the same time. Exactly.
1: So, so this gives us a, a chance not only to, to have fun with how different Dwight's worldview is to this gothic warrior princess that he's about to meet, but also it sort of explains how people from Greta's world can come into Woodside and find a place there because Woodside is a town of acceptance where anyone ought to be able to find a place. Anyone is welcome. And
0: and you have something else about that opening moment. Um, Dwight is all about organization. One of the first things we see about him is him keeping track of his (laughs) to-do list, everything on his phone. And even when crazy stuff is coming at him, he's still organized. And of course, That sets us up for the complete opposite coming down the (laughs) line. That's
1: exactly right. So Dwight is a kid who has a very well-ordered life, and he thinks he's got everything all figured out. Uh, And so Greta is going to come smashing into his life, and in the course of these episodes that they spend together, is going to teach him... And show him that there was a lot missing from his well-ordered life so by by disordering him she's actually going to make him whole uh and that's that's a fun a fun character to explore someone who thinks they have their life very well planned out but it turns out their plan isn't really the one that they needed that there was a larger plan for him and in our story our story is very much about fate and that Dwight was very much fated to have this existence with Greta and she was fated to have him for a champion. And so whatever it was he was planning wasn't what fate had in mind.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And of course, they bring balance to each other's lives. Um, so speaking of smashing into <laughs> into, into his life, um, I guess he technically smashes into hers. How many times did you make Sloan
2: fall 20 feet and land on Camilla? <laughs> well, it was in his contract. We could push him off that ladder any as many times as we wanted. <laughs> oh, wow, you guys did a great job negotiating that. <laughs> I, actually, uh, of course, that was uh, a stunt uh, and a stunt performer, and it, it was uh, it, it was it was a really exciting day. Uh, the way it worked is we had a stunt performer. Uh, who was dressed up like Dwight, uh, and we had a crash pad. Uh, when you see in the pilot, it, it looks like there is uh, that Greta is laying there, but there's actually nothing there. Totally had me to uh, fooled. That, that's a visual effect uh, that we've created. A you know the outline of, of Greta's body, but it was a crash pad, and we uh, we hung the stunt performer uh, on, on a wire uh, about about twenty feet up in the Think air. A little more, uh, even... may- maybe it was, yeah, oh. um, and it was a very tense moment uh, as you can imagine first of all it took a long time to set up and we're always running you know short on time on set and second of all obviously there's a human life involved, mm-hmm. and you know someone can get hurt, and that's always that's always scary. But you know the, our stunt coordinator and our stunt performer we were very professional, and we dropped the stunt performer on the crash pad, uh, and there was all the the dirt and stuff that flew up and made that great that great look. And we I, we only did it two times, if if memory. Wow, starts. it only yeah, took it, it only it only took two times. That's incredible. Yeah, and uh, so. We were very relieved when it was over, and that no one got hurt, and that we <laughs> we got what we what we needed. But it was it, it was it was a very tense, uh, you know, couple hours while we were doing that shot.
1: We did do the scene for the tight shots, the close-ups of um, of Dwight kissing Greta. We did quite a few of those where she and they, we had to bury her in new dirt every time, mm-hmm. get her fully covered in dust and debris, and then he would just sort of. Funk down onto her and and Tim Kendall had this really fun idea for the kiss and he he says to to uh, to Sloan just make this the most sloppy, gross unromantic kiss ever. You don't even realize there's a mouth under you so just you know kind of drag your lips across <laughs> her just be <laughs> gross about it And poor Sloan was like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he did not know what to make of that, and poor Caitlin was just such a good sport about it. But I think for both kids, it was a little bit, um a, a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, you're buried in dirt. A, a guy's falling on you. You lay there real still while while he just does the grossest possible <laughs> kiss on you. But <laughs> well, they were and, they were and, great sports I think for, about it.
2: I think for one or both of them, it was their first kiss. To, and, yeah, and, and uh, to have. Under those circumstances, with all these people standing around looking at you and dirt <laughs> flying everywhere, and, you know, it, it, so it, it, it was, wasn't it, a glamorous Hollywood it, 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 kiss no. at all. Yeah, yeah well, awkward. we're gonna have to torture <laughs>
0: Sloan with questions about that when we yeah. get him on this for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, was that the first scene that Sloan and Caitlin shot together? And when when they did get on set together, is that like the moment you realized? You'd cast the two funniest young people <laughs> on the planet.
1: So that, that wasn't the first scene that we shot, uh, but it was a very, very funny first day. So we started first up, first day, with the scene at the farmer's market when Greta starts snarfing all the fruit and making a two-headed hog of herself. <laughs> so that's the scene we started with. And and it, it set a really zany tone for our whole, uh, our whole shoot because we started with this girl all dirty in armor and this boy all covered in grime all over his sweater and she's just like the poor girl had to eat about fifty plums and, and uh, everyone
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say and, and for and people at home all, that don't spit know them all this in the yeah, spit bucket. yeah anytime <laughs> you see an actor eating something on screen they've had to chew that thing at least yeah at least ten times oh, yeah. probably and many more and there's nothing uh,
2: glamorous about a spit bucket. Yeah <laughs> you can't you
0: can't keep swallowing it yeah. and you get full real quick. <laughs> so yeah yeah there's a spit bucket.
1: But it was really fun. It was for for the members of our crew who are sort of new to the project, they were watching with sort of quizzical looks like wait, what's this? What's happening here? (laughs) What kind of a show is this? It was a strange, fun way to start. And, and they were just both so funny in that scene and their interactions together. And that was also right after that, where, where we had the first introduction of her Royal Highness, Princess Greta. Which is a great Um, runner. (laughs) So, so fun. So that, that whole scene set a great tone for, for the rest of our shoot.
0: Yeah, and, and actually watching that scene, um, because it's the first time they really slow down for a moment, watching that, that's when I went, oh, she's like a really fantastic actress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. so laser focused on that. And you get, you get to see Sloane doing that earlier right, right off the bat, but it's the first moment she slows down and has a it's real true. moment. It's true,
1: it's true, because we saw her first in the cavern when she's awakened, and she's laser focused on... Killing Dwight. <laughs> right, exactly. um, and then focused on saving Dwight from the troll and then running. And then the next thing she becomes focused on is eating because I'm hungry. <laughs> and that's just kind of how she attacks things. She attacks things. Uh, and so it was fun to see her uh, attacking something in a non-violent way uh, and yet kind of violent the way she was <laughs> eating the plums. So it's just another dimension of her character.
0: Right. Everything for her is out of urgency and necessity yeah. at all yeah. times. Um, was that the first time you saw? Caitlin and Sloan
2: work together? We did have uh, chemistry sessions oh. in, later in the uh, in the audition process. Uh, so uh, a chemistry session, uh, you bring in the actors you're thinking about for a role and you you try like the male lead with the female lead, you know, options, A, B, and C, and you kind of mix them up together. And, and we saw uh, Sloan and Caitlin working together for the first time in, in that chemistry session. And, and it really was a magical experience. Uh, seeing them work together and we were we were really hopeful that those were going to, to be our, our leads and we were we were super excited when we closed the deal and, and they agreed to be on the project.
1: And and they really are just great friends. So you see that come across even in moments when they're tense with each other, there's a real there's a comfort level there that uh, that really comes across.
0: Yeah and that's lucky you can't buy that. So Greta uh, gets woken up and one of the first things that happens is Baldrick steps in to freeze the troll to hold him off while they escape um what was it like getting into the world of special effects here
1: yeah so that moment when when Baldric uses his scepter to blast the troll you're right that's that's the first obvious um, moment of, of special effects uh and we th- well the way that we did that um there there were some things we had to do practically on set like we knew that when he did the wind up uh it was going to create a kind of a whirlwind so uh, we had to get some actual wind on set, flapping his robe and his beard and his hair, because that kind of motion would be very difficult and expensive to do in, in with visual effects. Right, so... that's like
0: Monsters, Inc. level, <laughs> making every yeah, fur. Right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. okay. exactly.
1: So so that we did practically with a great big fan that we blew at him uh, as we were shooting that moment when he's doing the wind-up. And then we knew that when he blasted um, the uh, the troll that that whatever spell was going to be designed later by our, our visual effects team, that it was going to create a light. And so we put a practical light on his face so mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have to be recreating that light effect also on his face. So on on set, on on the day that we were shooting it, we had a big fan and we had a, a light and he did the wind up and we blasted him with a fan and then and then we hit him with the light at the moment that we thought that the that the spell would be would be flying out of his scepter. And then we took that and handed it off to our visual effects team who created the whole look of the spell winding up and, and the spell you know flying across the the, the room to hit the troll. Um, but it it took some planning um, beforehand to kind of set up what we needed to do. On the day of shooting, so that it it would reinforce what happened later.
2: And it is it is really amazing to see the visual effects team come in and, and it's sort of like, here's the residue of what happens. Now do something that will create that residue and match uh, and match seamlessly. And it's 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 sort of black magic what they do. <laughs> <in my mind. laughs>
0: yeah, and it is really interesting that it that it is both practical and for people at home. Practical means physical, real. Yeah, th- yeah, yeah. physical yeah. things that are there on set, and uh, you have to use both, otherwise. It'll look probably too cheesy if it's all effect and, well, it won't look like magic if we try to do it in real life. Um, And and Joel does such a great job uh, making you believe that it's all happening around him. Let's listen to a clip. It was because of these legions of enemies that we resorted to the Champion Spell. We were besieged on all sides, barricaded in the castle, no hope of rescue. So I cast a spell of last resort. The Champion Spell is what put us all to sleep. Princess Greta, myself. And anyone else in these woods that day. The spell was designed to remain in effect until a champion came. Someone with the courage, the valor, the skills to defeat the princess's hordes of enemies.
2: Instead, we got you. So,
0: so when I woke you up. With your kiss. Accidental kiss.
2: You woke up everyone. The spell is broken.
0: So the next thing that happens is our, our newly met gang flees and Baldric teaches us all about the champion spell. And that gets into the exposition we were talking about earlier. And we really only learn what we need to learn. Uh, how many times did you make Joel run through the woods and explain the entire concept of the show at the same time? More
2: than he wanted to, <laughs> I, I believe. <laughs> that, that is one of... Uh, another kind of trick we have with exposition is is try and get it out you know, while there's physical movement, while something exciting is happening on screen that makes the the dull and boring part of the rules and exposition uh, exposition seem a little bit more I- interesting. So that that was you know very well thought out. But you're right uh, for the actors and for the production team. I mean, we were shooting. In the, in the woods in Georgia, and you know, the actors had to, you know, run along in this sort of brambly woods while our camera and, and you know, the entire crew tracked along with them. So it, it was, uh, it, it may make, it's a lot more work, but we feel like it's it's more interesting. I'm, I'm trying to remember how many times we, we had to do it. Oh, but, probably
1: a dozen. Yeah. I should mention also, poor Joel, that that leather coat, it's like wearing a dead man it's 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 so heavy it's like wearing a cow just like here
2: (laughs) carry this cow while you're running through the forest (laughs) just
1: massive and then the first um prototype of the scepter which we used only in the pilot uh weighed about 40 pounds no so so like going back to the wind up in the in the uh, cavern he had to do that and i mean (laughs) it's
2: a workout it it would
1: be like trying to I don't know what, what uh, weighs 40 pounds, like, like, a, I don't like know, a bowling child. ball, <laughs> the,
2: bar. <laughs> um, the, the bar when you're doing, you know, yeah. Like and whatever. wielding like, that around. Pull-up bar, so, pull-up bar yeah.
1: so him running through the woods in that coat with that scepter, it was definitely a workout for him. Physical challenge.
0: Wow. So yeah. there was that and the run through, but, mm-hmm. but by the end of the run through, you get the entire show explained. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. well worth it. Yeah. Um, and of course it ends with that great moment with Dwight, you know, where they're describing all the great things that a champion needs to be, and he's barely able to climb over a log. And that's, <laughs> that's Sloane's, uh, I guess, first great moment of physical comedy, which he has plenty yeah, of on the show. Was... All right, so the the next real big moment is the first fight we have on the show. And uh, it's in the cafeteria. Everybody's watching this night, which is hilarious that everybody just buys that this is part of a show. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and uh, this giant knight comes in and fights Caitlin, and we really establish that Dwight isn't the kind of champion that's going to be jumping into battle with her. And we also establish that Greta is incredibly talented as a warrior, um, but she does lose the fight. And we get to hear Evan Hofer, who is like, you know, the greatest person in the world. Um, <laughs> 100% agree. <laughs> yeah, he's just the kindest.
1: So it was a blend of Evan and a stunt performer. We had two uh, two sets of armor uh, one that fit Evan and one that fit the performer and, and they cut back and forth. Um so you're sometimes seeing the stunt performer and you're some sometimes seeing Evan. But from the moment when Greta is on the floor and and the knight has his his knife, his sword to her throat, that's all Evan. Um, he's he's speaking at that point, he's acting at that point. So so that's definitely him when when his voice comes through and says champion <laughs> that, that's him <laughs> um then for for we, we went back to a stunt performer for lifting her up over his shoulder that's the stunt performer again um but so it throughout that scene it, it cuts back and forth
0: so what was the benefit to that because you could have easily done that scene with the stunt performer in the suit of armor the whole time and then 80 yard which means additional dialogue recording for those of you at home uh you mm-hmm. could have added uh, Claude was lines afterwards. So what made, how'd you make the decision not to do that? There's
1: a lot in his body, um, when he begins those lines and, and you can tell, or if you know Evan, you can tell it's him. Uh, the way that he kind of sits back on his heel and does this kind of shrug with his shoulder and this thing with his head, like you can totally tell it's him. So even though his face is covered, there's a lot of acting happening with his body that we wouldn't take away from an actor and give to a stunt performer. That's that's evans he's creating the role this is really the first time we're we're getting a hint of his character maybe not the first time but it's an early time we're getting a hint a hint of his character and we definitely wanted the benefit of evan in all the physicality of that moment
0: and you know we talked a little bit about how you found sloan and caitlin and the chemistry reads how did casting go for Claudwick? how did you find evan
2: well, Evan was was part of that process. The casting process for the pilot was is a whole episode on on that. <laughs> we'll <laughs> talk well about as, that. It was, a, it was a you know nationwide search for you know a thousand you know a thousand actors for each one of those roles, uh, and, and when we got to picking Claudwig, it, it actually was an interesting process because we had kind of envisioned uh, Claudwig as as a uh, you know, a wormy night guy, uh, you know, like what like we say in in the script, and and when we saw Evan. He was, he was so great and so funny and lovable. He was too handsome, but he was too <laughs> handsome. Yeah, I, li- literally, we're like, oh, you know, too Darn bad we it. can't go with him because he's way too handsome. He's just
1: too handsome. He can't be our wormy night guy. But um, it was actually uh, uh, Tim Kendall who was there at, at that um, at that session who who said, you know what? L- just embrace the handsome, uh, and because then he becomes sort of a, a funhouse mirror version of a handsome prince charming. You look at him and you think. Why doesn't Greta want to marry him? He's, he's a hottie, he's
2: smoking hot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: but then the, he opens his mouth and you realize, oh, he's crazy. <laughs> so that's the fun of the character is that he seems like he should be this super desirable prince charming, but he's a nut job. So <laughs> that that once we embrace that, then he became the obvious choice.
2: And, and what Evan did with Claudwig. was really just magic. We never really intended Claudwig to be such a huge role uh, on the show, but once we saw all the just gold he was giving us, we, you know, made his character larger and larger just because he's irresistible.
1: Well, and he's such a fan favorite, too. Yeah. Yeah. Almost everyone says, oh, Claudwig's my favorite. Especially kids.
2: My mom has a crush on (laughs) Claudwig. Let's talk about, uh,
0: before we wrap up, one of our main sets. Uh, we finally get to Greta and Baldrick's house. How did you know when you found the right house? How did location scouting go for that?
1: So Greta's house in the pilot is actually four different locations. Four? Four. So the house that you first see uh, when they come in with a realtor to check it out, that's an actual home that we, uh, that we rented for the production in, in Augusta, Georgia. Um, then the, uh, exterior of the house that you see with the for sale sign, you see it first in the day and then you see it later with the troll approaching. That's a house in Draper, Utah.
2: Um, well, and, and actually the troll approaching we shot in Georgia and it originally had the Georgia house uh, behind it. And then we actually, actually, when we, a lot of things changed and we had to change the exterior of the house. So we actually lifted the troll, That was shot in Georgia and basically with visual effects pasted it in in front of in the foreground of of the the Utah house
1: and so and then um in the later scenes uh like where he says his famous um pizza peasant line that's (laughs) a set that we built in Salt Lake City Utah uh and then um at the there's one other place
2: Georgia exterior Utah exterior the Georgia practical interior, and then the set that we built in Utah, uh, which is the the interior of the house as well. Mm-hmm. So that we in that first episode, you see uh, her house in really those four different iterations.
1: And, and Greta's house is a character all its own. It's this normal little tract home that looks like a house that many of us grew up in, a house that we've all seen a million times. It's going to undergo a dramatic character arc uh, as she puts her stamp on it. And, and gradually over the course of many episodes, Turns it into a medieval stronghold. It starts to become a, like a castle with a moat and a turret. And
2: we get we get to see all the fun things that that a medieval princess would do to her house that seemed normal to her, like, you know, like put pikes out in front and and, <laughs> and dig a moat and hang the coat of arms and build a lookout tower for Dwight. And and so it's it's really uh, the the progression of the exterior and the interior of Greta's house is really you know a part of the character of the show.
0: That's fun. That's something for everybody to look forward to. Um. So uh, something I do want to ask about is. Dwight's bicycle. <laughs> um, it's one of the first things, I think it's the very first thing we see in the pilot yep. is him heading to the stop sign, but later we have that iconic shot of all three of our leads on this bicycle yeah. that Dwight is pedaling along. How did that work? Because that could not have been easy to do.
2: That that wasn't easy, and there's there's an interesting story behind that. As, as we were uh, narrowing down our, our casting choices uh, for, for Dwight, we started to get into the whole question of, of riding a bike. We we asked Sloan's agent, does Sloan know how to ride a bike? And Sloan and his agent promptly lied to us and said, yes, oh, yeah, absolutely. Great bike rider, that's Sloan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and for the we, record, as actors, we are all told to say yeah. yes to anything. Do you know, have you, are you comfortable skydiving? Absolutely.
2: Oh, 100%. No problem. I'm an expert at that. Yeah. So that's what Sloan did, uh, understandably. Uh, but then once we, got, we cast him and we, we got more into it, we realized... He, sloan did not know how to ride a bike at all and so uh one of the <laughs> he, he and his dad went out and, and bought a bike and then you know th- they started to learn and then then our our uh you know st- stunt team was teaching him you know as we got into uh you know shooting the pilot and then the iconic shot of him you know giving all three a ride uh, i don't know this is a sad but that never happened that was those were all three stunt performers but then he eventually did have to uh, have to give Greta a ride on the bike, and this was one of my favorite memories with Sloan. as we were. It was a rainy day. Uh, we were. It was a Saturday. We weren't shooting, uh, and Sloan and I met at the stage where we were shooting, and you know, he and I were, were doing some bike riding practice, uh, and then for the first time, he had to give someone a ride on the bike, and it was me. I, I was like, "You got this! <laughs> you you got this!" And kind, I kind of gave him a push, and then I jumped up on the back of the pegs, and he was so excited, like, ah, "I'm doing it!" There's a video somewhere of, that, Ooh, uh, of, we should of post him, that, of him giving me a ride on the bike. So, you know, so we, we were able to teach him to, to ride the bike and, and give, uh, give a, uh, you know, someone a ride. And if, if he give me uh, a big fat old guy, a ride on the bike, <laughs> he could give. <laughs> For uh, those I of you at home, that is not an appropriate description <laughs> of Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was, that was really, it, it was a fun, it, it added some, some, uh, complexity and fun. Uh, the fact that, that Sloan didn't really know how to ride a bike.
0: Wow. That's it. So actually by my count, there are two major images from the show that are stunt performers then, which is both the fall yeah. and the bicycle.
2: Yeah. That's that's true. Yeah. All Our
0: right. stunt
1: team played a huge part in the pilot. That's yeah.
0: incredible. And it is a really wonderful stunt team. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for season one, episode one of Dwight in Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the unofficial behind the scenes show about everything Dwight. Thank you, Brian and Leanne Adams.
2: Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I'm Thanks, so Josh. glad.
0: Yeah, you got it. I'm so glad <laughs> we decided to do this. And we're all so lucky to enjoy the gift of your storytelling. It's really incredible. Um, you can follow Brian on Instagram at Brian underscore J underscore Adams. And you can follow me at TheJoshBreslow. And if you have any questions that are as yet unanswered about the pilot, please tweet your questions or send video questions to at Dwight and Armor. And we'll tackle them on a podcast later down the line. Tune in next week for season one, episode two, Flip. I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. Go on an adventure today. It might change your life.